So we pass this on from generation to generation. Right? Nina Boboy. Wait, let me read the words first. Nina Boboy. Nina Boboy. Tata Ja. Tata Ja. Bye, ready. Bye, ready. Just kisse. Just kisse. Sir Kaneka. Sir Kaneka. Jamure. Jamure. Umsedi. We're sat in the front room in Sarah's house. The fans spin tirelessly. Sarah's husband and son wait patiently, guitars in hand, and Sarah taps the words on a large sugar paper with a ruler as she says them aloud. On the sofa to the right of us and on the chairs opposite, a cluster of children gather, repeating after Sarah as she's practicing the lyrics to a traditional song in a language, a language that we'd soon discover has a fascinating story. Christang. Welcome back to Language Stories, a podcast discovering languages around the world and meeting the people who speak them. It's season two. We've flown halfway across the world from the Americas, and now for this season, we're exploring Southeast Asia. I'm Lindsay Williams from Lindsay Does Languages, a language-obsessed chica on the constant exploration of languages, no matter where I am in the world. And this episode, welcome to Malacca, Malaysia and Singapore. My, my great-grandfather is a Portuguese. He married my great-grandmother, who is a Dutch. She's a Miss Van Hoosen. Okay? But we did, we did not learn a word of Dutch. We learned Kristang. Right. And she spoke Kristang, I think. That's how. <laughs> so she spoke Kristang to her children and her children spoke to their kids. Ah. So it's, that's how it brought down the language. Already there's a lot to unpack here. Malacca is an interesting city. Centuries ago, the now melting pot of a city was a fishing village. And then various people arrived at various points in history, each bringing with them architecture, food, customs and, of course, language, all leaving their marks on the city today. The Chinese, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the British, Malacca's strategic location made it desirable to many colonists throughout history. Our story begins with the Portuguese. That's where Kristang, a Creole language, takes most of its influence from. You'll be able to identify because why? Uh, our vocabulary is about 98% Portuguese. Mm. And uh, we've got a little, a little bit of Malay there, and maybe one or two words from the other uh, Asian languages, maybe uh, from Tamil or uh, in Sinhalese um, a little bit, but basically uh, 98% of I said is Portuguese, are Portuguese words. That's Michael Sinko. When Sarah was showing me some Christang things before we started the interview, a board game, pamphlets and a book, the book caught my eye. It was a shimmery bright turquoise colour with an orange speech bubble on the front. I asked Sarah if I could buy this in Malacca. She did one better. After our visit to her house, she and her husband drove us round to Michael and his sister's house, two people who had worked on co-authoring the book with her. Imagine, by now, it's past 8pm, it's pitch black outside, and two foreign strangers show up at your door asking for a copy of your book. You tell them to come back tomorrow? Not Michael and Philomena. We were welcomed in and sat down to chat with Philomena, while Michael got us a copy of the book from the other room. They even agreed to an interview for this episode. As Philomena talked, I gradually realised I recognised her. During my research, I'd come across Philomena's Facebook page, where she shares daily videos teaching little nuggets of Kristang. So I, I think 
it's being a lot appreciated because when I check the postings, sometimes I get about a few thousands people who have seen the postings. It's all over the world. Wow. So that is, I mean, it's amazing yeah. that the language is being you know, spread all over. And people do appreciate. They do send me back remarks and say, that's good, it's nice, keep it up. And they practice also. And how long? How long have you been doing that? I've been doing this, I think, for about almost two years. Before, I just used to post pictures. The picture, then I'll write an explanation on the picture. Then I never thought of doing an audio. Suddenly, a, a friend of mine, she, she uh, messaged me, she said, why don't you try doing an audio? You know, you would like to listen to the words being spoken and pronounced. I think I started about early this year to do the audio and that also with the help of my son <laughs> these youngsters they are very computer savvy mm -hmm. and all that and we have to slowly learn <laughs> so now it's it's i say i won't say that i'm an expert but i can you know do the simple audios and also if i need help i call darian my son <laughs> can you help me yeah. uh, i'm stuck on this on this on this yeah, okay mom you do this and this and that. <laughs> As we were talking, Michael came back into the room, carrying a copy of the book. He placed it on the table, and we talked for well over an hour and a half about the language. I learned so much, and to be honest, I could quite happily insert the whole interview here, but that might be a little longer than our typical episodes, so I'm forced to be selective. To start, it's worth knowing a little about the word Christang. The Vietnamese, Christang people, mm -hmm. eh? and uh, the... Uh, in our, language, in our religion is, of course, Christian. Eh? Gente Christian is Christian people. people. Yeah. And religion Christian is the religion, Christian religion. Mm -hmm. And Papia Christian is speaking our language Christian. Okay, if you look at it literally, it does not make sense because the word means Christian. Christian is come from Christian. Mm -hmm. Christian is Portuguese for Christian. So the, another thing that differs us from Portuguese is that they, 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 their words are nasal, for example, Cristão, Cunisão. Uh, we say Cristão, Cunisão, we are deeper in authority. Yeah. The word Cristo, Cristi, Cristão, all means Christian. The reason why, because people who spoke these languages were of Christian religion, right? And they, they could have been of Portuguese descent too, or could have been uh, sort of Christianized, but they spoke the Portuguese uh, language. So that was, uh, but basically that, that word that they use is a nickname, or rather is a colloquial uh, terminology, mm. colloquial. So that is why we felt that um, we cannot uh, allow uh, something that is colloquial to go into, into the realm of the formal because it will do injustice to the colloquial wealth of that, of that word and also it would not fit in into the formal uh, it, uh, realm altogether. Mm -hmm. So that's why uh, we, in the formal terms, we call it Malacca Portuguese or Portuguese Malacca. The text in the orange speech bubble on the cover of the book in front of us reads Ben prende Portuguese Malacca, then in brackets Papia Cristang. Underneath, a smaller turquoise bubble translates to English. Come, let's learn Portuguese Malacca. Open brackets, Papia Cristang, 
close brackets. So the language has multiple names. I'm calling it Kristang with a K in this episode because that's the English word for the language. Down in Singapore, however, there's very little or no reference to Portuguese Malacca or Papia Kristang with a C. There, it's just Kristang with a K. People that know nothing about Kristang, could you explain what is it? So Kristang is the critically endangered heritage language of the Portuguese Eurasians in Singapore and Malacca. Uh, it's a Creole language, so it's got elements of Portuguese and Malay primarily, as well as some influence from other languages. And it's been spoken in Singapore for about 200 years. That's Kevin Martins Wong, founder of Kodra Kristang, an initiative in Singapore that has been teaching Kristang classes to Eurasians and other Singaporeans since 2016. He explains how the initiative came about. In terms of, of you, so you mentioned that your ancestors were Portuguese Eurasians. How did you discover the language? Was it something you grew up with? Or? So I didn't know about the language until I was 22. So that is three years ago. Um, and it's, it's actually quite interesting because my family used to have a strong connection to the language. My great, great, great grandfather, uh, Edwin Tessenson, he was a patron of uh, this Kristang language theatre scene that went on for about 40 years. Um, but my family shifted over to English during my great-grandparents' and grandparents' time to the point that my mom only learned English, only spoke English. Um, she kind of knew that Kristang existed, but she, they just didn't use it. And then when it came down to me, uh, my parents just raised me in English. So I didn't, I didn't even have any idea that, that the language existed. So yeah, it's, it's really been rediscovering a lot of stuff. Do you yeah. remember how you came across it? How you oh yeah, uh, I also run this magazine called Unravel. So it's a, it's, a, it's a language magazine. Uh, I was asked to do a feature on endangered languages in the region. And prior to this, I didn't, know, I didn't even know Kristang existed. So of course I went to do research and I was like, oh my god, we actually have our own heritage language. You know, we didn't, I didn't even know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was in January 2015. Um, then we went up to Malacca. We met uh, Sarah, who you spoke, whom you've spoken to. We met Steph, uh, Dr. Pile. Um, a lot of different people in Malacca who are working on the language there. We were very inspired by what they did, of course what they do, so we came back to Singapore and we were like, we should start something here. So I started looking for other speakers of the language. My grandparents are like, they're passive speakers, so they, they my grandma remembers a lot from her childhood. Uh, grandpa only knows all the, you know, swear words and, <laughs> and food and things. Uh, um, but they can, they can remember that. So I learned the language. From the, a bit from them, then I went to look for other people in, on the island who still speak. I uh, found like 13 or 14. And I wasn't interested in revitalizing the language at that point because I'm not a native speaker. I, I don't really, at, at that point, I didn't really feel like, you know, I have the, the insiderness to be doing that kind of thing. But um, after some time, I thought, uh, working with this 14 speaker, Bernard Messenus, Bernard was like, you know, Kevin, you should really do something for the language. You know, you're a te you're going to be a teacher. Uh, you you have a linguistics. You're majoring in linguistics. Uh, it's a confluence of good things, right? It's it's an intersection of good things. So yeah, we started one. I, I, I agreed to run one class with him. Bernard Bernard's quite old, so he can't stand in front and, and teach. It's very draining. Um, so I would do that, but Bernard would be in class and kind of tell me, you know, that's wrong, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, so we ran one class and it was it was very good. People liked it so much they told their friends. And then there was, there was this is March 2016. Okay. Yeah, so after about a year of working with the language. And then we had so much demand that we ran a second class and then we had demand after that. So we just kept running. So now we're in our 10th iteration of classes. 
Yeah. And I guess the more you do, the more advanced people get, and they want to keep going. Oh, yeah. So it's. So levels. my my Thursday group now is my is that pioneer group that started in March 2016. They've been learning for about two two and a half years now. And are all the students are they all of the Sang heritage? Only two thirds are, are Eurasian. The okay. rest are from all sorts of places. Yeah. In a moment, we'll hear from one of those students. But first, a word from our sponsor. Season two of Language Stories is sponsored by Lingora, the 100% free online language community where you can share your spoken and written language practice and get feedback totally free. Sign up at lindsaydoeslanguages.com forward slash Lingora. Next, submit an audio or written text in the language you're learning and then wait for feedback. Of course, as Lingora is community-based, it's nice if you can take a minute or two to give someone else some feedback in a language you know already while you're waiting. And soon enough, there'll be some feedback on your audio and text too. There's something new coming to Lingora. Feedback summaries. These are customised lists of areas Lingora members need to work on in terms of their speaking and writing skills based on the audios and texts they've posted on Lingora. For example, if I struggle to pronounce certain words in Spanish and frequently make mistakes when using the past tense, my feedback summary will contain a list of these points native speakers have pointed out to me on the platform. It will also contain a customised task for me to do, so I can focus on these weak points I have in Spanish. Amazing! Look out for that very soon on Lingora. Sign up now so you're ready to go at lindsaydoeslanguages.com forward slash Lingora. Thank you to Lingora for sponsoring this season of Language Stories. So I'll just, you just tell me when to start. Okay, whenever you're ready, we're good to go. Okay. To the anonymous policymaker, regarding others is not a race. Eurasian, E-U-R-A-S-I-A-N. Just because there were few of them, do you think they didn't count? Who are you to strip us of our identity? Who are you to white out our name? We are as Singaporean as you. One of Kevin's students I came across by accident. After filming an interview for our main Singapore episode for this series with Lillian Lee, she showed us around the area where we'd been filming, which included a very cute bookshop. Books, actually, if you're curious. As I strolled the shop, one cover caught my eye. Others is not a race. I picked it up and turned it over. Eurasian, Christang heritage, what it's like to be Eurasian. Oh, this would be helpful for the Christang episode, I thought. Back home, I sat and read the first chapter of the book, which ended with me in floods of tears. Melissa de Silva tenderly describes how her grandmother's passing sparked inspiration in her to learn her heritage language, Christang. I think a lot of what I was trying to, to document and, and to be self-aware of in myself was there were many very universal things, you know. Um, and so one of those very universal things, as I've discovered as, you know, readers and, and other people who've read it approach me and tell me their experiences like you have, is that, um, you know, they, they've also felt the, the pain and dismay of, you know, watching especially grandparents sort of, you know, you know, enter terminal illness or, or be on their deathbed. And for many of them, they, at that point, which is sometimes a little too late, realize that, okay, their grandparent now is in a, you know, mentally sort of debilitated state. And whereas previously they could communicate in a second or third language, which would be English, 
you know, at that stage, it, it, you know, that is not going to happen anymore. So, you know, people have told me like, yeah, they, then they realize like, yeah, they, they wish they had learned more Hokkien, Cantonese, Tamil. Um, someone told me, you know, not because of the book or anything, but, you know, independently, she really embarked on a journey to learn her own native Catalan, uh, precisely for this reason, you know, and um, so it was only at that time when I had to sort of, you know, witness my grandma just waiting to die, basically, that I felt very acutely the impending loss of this language, which horribly I had never treasured before. I had hardly thought about it because it wasn't relevant to me. Um, you know, I grew up speaking English and my parents believed that, um, yeah, Kristan was not necessary. So my dad, interestingly, uh, his parents were born in Malacca. My dad's parents, yeah. And they came to Singapore after World War II. So my dad grew up learning and speaking Kristan, but uh, he didn't want to pass that on to my sister and I. Um, so anyway, only after my grandmother passed away, I thought it's really important that I try and you know, claw back some of this linguistic heritage, this cultural heritage. Um, I mean, firstly, because it would make me feel closer to her, even though she's departed. Um, but also because, you know, I, I did, of course, acknowledge that it was a whole culture that was sort of disintegrating with my grandmother's passing. And I, I wasn't prepared to let that happen. Suddenly, you know, I had this transformation. <laughs> but never mind. I'm very late than ever. Imagine my surprise when weeks after filming for this episode, I get to the chapter where Melissa shares that she took Kristan classes with Kevin. It was only a few years, maybe two or three years later, maybe four, I saw on, online someone wrote an article about how she attended a Kristan class. And I was so amazed that someone is teaching this language. And I never imagined I would live in any time where my ancestral language would be taught in a classroom situation. You know, um, and I said, oh my God, I have to get in on this. So, yeah, I contacted Kevin through the article. And Kevin at that time, we, the, the people in that class were like the first so-called batch of, uh, I, I wouldn't even call it students, because at that time he was still a, um, a linguistics undergraduate at the National University of Singapore. So previously he had only sort of tried out his idea with a few friends in his home. So in this class uh, in the university, there were just a, like a few adults, proper adults. <laughs> I, I think there were, there were like probably less than 10 of us. And then um, Kevin's friends from that original group from his home. Yeah, and, and that was it. But it, it just made me like the happiest person in the world. You know, like, oh my God, someone's writing words on the board. I'm popping down notes in my book, letting you words. So yeah, and I've, I've tried to keep up with the lessons. I, I took a break. So I'm, I'm going to rejoin in January Kevin's classes. So I'm really looking forward to that. I couldn't help but think how nervous I would be to teach a language after just a year of study. I asked Kevin if this was something he'd experienced. Were you nervous when you started? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a teacher, right? So, right. so every day is nerve-wracking. But, but this is a special kind of nerve-wracking because, um, again, I, I, I'm not a native speaker and I, I try to make that very clear. So my intuitions about things would be, might not be as accurate as, as they might be with somebody like Bernard or even my grandparents. Um, so of course I'm, always, I'm still always anxious about that. Um, 
and, and to sort of uh, mitigate that, we try and involve people, all the native speakers as far as possible in our classes. We try and get them involved. Back in 2017, Kevin hosted the first Kristang Language Festival in Singapore, for which some people came down from Malacca. And is, is there much connection with Malacca and the Hawaii? So, uh, a lot of us have relatives and friends in Malacca. Um, and uh, Malacca, of course, is the stronger community in terms of the number of speakers it has. And of course, they have that geographical concentration. Um, and of course, we work together for the festival. So we had Sarah come down with her dancers and stuff. Sarah told us a little about her dancing and singing when we spoke. Let's head back to Malacca. We also have singing. Like I said, there's one called the Mata Kantiga. That one is like considered it's dying, but we have just revived it. But it's not as good as our four parents did it, you know. It was, it's like poetry recital, but we are singing it out. Yeah. And in prompto way. But that is so difficult. So some of them have documented the words that the grandmas, they used to sing. So we tried. I tried. Martin Tissera tried together with him. So we did this Mata Kantiga. You know, where the male and female against each other say who wins, but always the ladies will win. Yeah, because we are always ready with our words. The guys will go like, ah, yeah, I can't think already. I can't think. So the guys will always lose. Yeah. So that is no longer being practiced, but we are trying to revive it, yeah. to bring it back. So how are you, how are you reviving it? Like, like you yeah. know, we practice, we have the words, we practice with the male, and then we, we did a performance. During the San Pedro, cool. we did, uh, and then uh, our dressing. Uh-huh. See, like my grandma, that's my grandma and my grandpa. My grandma used that. I, I dress like that, exactly the same. With my hair bun oh. and my hair clips and everything. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Wow. We call it the sarong kebaya. Sarong kebaya. The blouse is a kebaya, it's a long kebaya. Oh, kebaya. Uh, sarung, what's sarung? Sarung is the skirt. Like a sarong? Yes, a sarong. Sarung kabaya. Sarung kabaya. Yeah, you see, there's the influence of the bahasa. Yeah, yeah. In there. Yes. That's amazing, that's cool. <laughs> when Sarah said bahasa there, she's referring to what we'd know in English as Malay, the language. Bahasa means language. But Portuguese and Malay aren't the only influences on Kristang. Punjabi, Hindi, there is Malay, Bahasa Malaysia, is definitely there's some influence inside there. Mm. Some words is from the Bahasa Malaysia language. Some um, English, we have to have some evolution in the language, otherwise <laughs> cannot, you see? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I guess, like if there's something, like internet for example, does that go yeah, in English? Yeah, we do English? not have the word for that, so you say, Kita fazer, you have to buy the internet, to ola the internet, kiting. You see, kita ola, you to ola TV, you see? There's no word for TV. It just comes in, naturally. This approach of words coming into the language naturally appears to be one big difference between those supporting the language in Malacca and in Singapore. Here's Michael's take on it. We just discussed a friend of his translating song lyrics into Kristang. One of the things that we mentioned with Sarah was about new words like internet, TV, and how they come in and they just stay as English. Yes, yes. So I guess it's, a, you know, if you're doing a modern song as well and you've got this suddenly it comes up with, I got a text on my mobile phone and you're like, oh, Okay, so how do we, you know, you, you then yeah. how do you change that? Putting it into yeah. the, you know. So, so what happens that now? That is what uh, we differ also from the, from what this uh, this uh, Martins is doing in the Kodra Kodra Kristang in Singapore. Mm. Uh, ah, yeah, we meet He's him. Uh, he's uh, what he's doing is that he's inventing new words. Mm. We have 
decline from doing that mm. because why we feel that uh, that new words will be uh, through the process of evolution not by revolution if it's by revolution it becomes inauthentic it becomes complex it's not real so it has to be by evolution okay okay let's say that uh, the word f for example the word uh, panda panda if you were to ask me panda is panda yeah we don't have to have a new word for that or we can say panda right even standard portuguese do not change panda to pan to, to anything else if panda if television is television mm. why why want to change it to what a picture of a box, box of picture or you want to paraphrase, paraphrase i mean there's a tendency to want to paraphrase you paraphrase you do it you do not need consciously paraphrasing comes through a process yeah. not to be on the board and discussion and we write and we decide it has not not to be done that way it has to be done in the process of of uh, less uh, uh, acute consciousness you know what i mean mm. it has mm. to go through a process absolutely not revolution yeah. you could me on that part of codra christang's revitalization plan that kevin and his team in singapore have devised is the jardingu Christang Lexical Incubator. I didn't get a chance to ask Kevin about this in person, but according to their website, every two months the incubator team convenes to discuss the proposed new words. Anyone is welcome to join this meeting and make their voice heard. They cite Hawaiian as an example of where this type of intervention has worked in the past. As I said, this is just part of the plan. Using his background in linguistic studies, Kevin has crafted a revitalization plan to revitalize the language in Singapore, going as far forward as 2035. It's difficult to know the best way forward for a language that could easily disappear within a generation or two. What is clear, however, is that everyone we spoke to cares deeply about doing whatever they can to make sure that that doesn't happen. You've been listening to Language Stories, a podcast by Lindsay Does Languages. If you like what we do and you like video, then head on over to our YouTube channel where you can watch the sister video to this podcast episode. Just search Lindsay Does Languages on YouTube and on our channel, you'll see the playlist for language stories. Special thanks for this episode go to Sarah Frederica Santa Maria for letting us join in a singing class one evening and introducing us to Michael and Philomena Singho. Thank you for welcoming us so late at night and for signing my book secretly. Get your copy of Ben Prende Portuguese Malacca or Come Let's Learn Portuguese Malacca from University of Malaya Press. Kevin Martins Wong and the Christang class we crashed that evening. Find out more by searching Codra Christang. And thank you to Melissa De Silva for writing so beautifully and agreeing to speak with me. Get your copy of Others Is Not a Race online at Books Actually. And of course, thank you to our sponsor for this series, Lingora a place to share your spoken and written language practice and get feedback completely free. Visit lindsaydoeslanguages.com forward slash lingora to sign up for free today. And this is the final episode of season two. We're leaving Southeast Asia and we'll be heading somewhere very different for season three, the United Kingdom. Look out for season three very soon. In the meantime, you can support Language Stories by telling all your friends and being sure to leave a review if you enjoyed this episode and the series as that helps new listeners find the podcast easier. You write the review and leave the rest to the tech robots. So if you have a language story in the UK you'd love to share or if you know someone that does, get in touch. 
you can email me at lindsay, that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, at doeslanguages.com. That's lindsay at doeslanguages.com. I always love to hear from you. As always, you can follow me in all the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that jazz, and learn more at lindsaydoeslanguages.com. Until next time, keep learning languages and keep sharing stories. Adios. Adios.